part three section twenty eight of the maine woods by henry david thoreau this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part three the allegash and east branch section twenty eight leaving a spacious bay a northeasterly prolongation of chamberlain lake on our left we entered through a short strait into a small lake a couple of miles over called on the map telesinus but the indian had no distinct name for it and thence into telos lake which he called petewigamgamok or burnt ground lake this curved round toward the northeast and may have been three or four miles long as we paddled he had not been here since eighteen twenty five he did not know what telos meant thought it was not indian he used the word spokelogan for an inlet in the shore which led nowhere and when i asked its meaning said that there was no indian in him there was a clearing with a house and barn on the southwest shore temporarily occupied by some men who were getting the hay as we had been told also a clearing for a pasture on a hill on the west side of the lake we landed on a rocky point on the northeast side to look at some red pines pinus resinosa the first we had noticed and get some cones for our few which grow in concord do not bear any the outlet from the lake into the east branch of the penobscot is an artificial one and it was not very apparent where it was exactly but the lake ran curving far up northeasterly into two narrow valleys or ravines as if it had for a long time been groping its way toward the penobscot waters or remembered when it anciently flowed there by observing where the horizon was lowest and following the longest of these we at length reached the dam having come about a dozen miles from the last camp somebody had left a line set for trout and the jackknife with which the bait had been cut on the dam beside it an evidence that man was near and on a deserted log close by a loaf of bread baked in a yankee baker these proved the property of a solitary hunter whom we soon met and canoe and gun and traps were not far off he told us that it was twenty miles farther on our route to the foot of grand lake where you could catch as many trout as you wanted and that the first house below the foot of the lake on the east branch was hunt's about forty-five miles farther though there was one about a mile and a half up trout stream some fifteen miles ahead but it was rather a blind route to it it turned out that though the stream was in our favour we did not reach the next house till the morning of the third day after this the nearest permanently inhabited house behind us was now a dozen miles distant so that the interval between the two nearest houses on our route was about sixty miles this hunter who was a quite small sunburnt man having already carried his canoe over and baked his loaf had nothing so interesting and pressing to do as to observe our transit he had been out a month or more alone how much more wild and adventurous his life than that of the hunter in concord woods who gets back to his house in the mill dam every night yet they in the towns who have wild oats to sow commonly sow them on cultivated and comparatively exhausted ground and as for the rowdy world in the large cities so little enterprise has it that it never adventures in this direction but like vermin clubs together in alleys and drinking saloons its highest accomplishment perchance to run beside a fire-engine and throw brickbats 
but the former is comparatively an independent and successful man getting his living in a way that he likes without disturbing his human neighbors how much more respectable also is the life of the solitary pioneer or settler in these or any woods having real difficulties not of his own creation drawing his subsistence directly from nature than that of the helpless multitudes in the towns who depend on gratifying the extremely artificial wants of society and are thrown out of employment by hard times here for the first time we found the raspberries really plenty that is on passing the height of land between the allegash and the east branch of the penobscot the same was true of the blueberries telos lake the head of the st john on this side and webster pond the head of the east branch of the penobscot are only about a mile apart and they are connected by a ravine in which but little digging was required to make the water of the former which is the highest flow into the latter this canal which is something less than a mile long and about four rods wide was made a few years before my first visit to maine since then the lumber of the upper allegash and its lakes has been run down the penobscot that is up the allegash which here consists principally of a chain of large and stagnant lakes whose thoroughfares or river links have been made nearly equally stagnant by damming and then down the penobscot the rush of the water has produced such changes in the canal that it has now the appearance of a very rapid mountain stream flowing through a ravine and you would not suspect that any digging had been required to persuade the waters of the st john to flow into the penobscot here it was so winding that one could see but little way down it is stated by springer in his forest life that the cause of this canal being dug was this according to the treaty of eighteen forty two with great britain it was agreed that all the timber run down the st john which rises in maine when within the province of new brunswick shall be dealt with as if it were the produce of the said province which was thought by our side to mean that it should be free from taxation immediately the province wishing to get something out of the yankees levied a duty on all the timber that passed down the st john but to satisfy its own subjects made a corresponding discount on the stumpage charged those hauling timber from the crown lands the result was that the yankees made the st john run the other way or down the penobscot so that the province lost both its duty and its water while the yankees being greatly enriched had reason to thank it for the suggestion it is wonderful how well watered this country is as you paddle across a lake bays will be pointed out to you by following up which and perhaps the tributary stream which empties in you may after a short portage or possibly at some seasons none at all get into another river which empties far away from the one you were on generally you may go in any direction in a canoe by making frequent but not very long portages you are only realizing once more what all nature distinctly remembers here for no doubt the waters flowed thus in a former geological period and instead of being a lake country it was an archipelago it seems as if the more youthful and impressible streams can hardly resist the numerous invitations and temptations to leave their native beds and run down their neighbors channels your carries are often over half-submerged ground on the dry channels of a former period 
in carrying from one river to another i did not go over such high and rocky ground as in going about the falls of the same river for in the former case i was once lost in a swamp as i have related and again found an artificial canal which appeared to be natural i remember once dreaming of pushing a canoe up the rivers of maine and that when i had got so high that the channels were dry i kept on through the ravines and gorges nearly as well as before by pushing a little harder and now it seemed to me that my dream was partially realized wherever there is a channel for water there is a road for the canoe the pilot of the steamer which ran from old town up the penobscot in eighteen fifty four told me that she drew only fourteen inches and would run easily in two feet of water though they did not like to it is said that some western steamers can run on a heavy dew whence we can imagine what a canoe may do montresor who was sent from quebec by the english about seventeen sixty to explore the route to the kennebec over which arnold afterward passed supplied the penobscot near its source with water by opening the beaver dams and he says this is often done he afterward states that the governor of canada had forbidden to molest the beaver about the outlet of the kennebec from moosehead lake on account of the service which their dams did by raising the water for navigation this canal so called was a considerable and extremely rapid and rocky river the indian decided that there was water enough in it without raising the dam which would only make it more violent and that he would run down it alone while we carried the greater part of the baggage our provision being about half consumed there was the less left in the canoe we had thrown away the pork keg and wrapped its contents in birch bark which is the unequalled wrapping paper of the woods following a moist trail through the forest we reached the head of webster pond about the same time with the indian notwithstanding the velocity with which he moved our route being the most direct the indian name of webster stream of which this pond is the source is according to him madunkchunk that is height of land and of the pond madunkchunk gamook or height of land pond the latter was two or three miles long we passed near a pine on its shore which had been splintered by lightning perhaps the day before this was the first proper east branch penobscot water that we came to at the outlet of webster lake was another dam at which we stopped and picked raspberries while the indian went down the stream a half mile through the forest to see what he had got to contend with there was a deserted log camp here apparently used the previous winter with its hovel or barn for cattle in the hut was a large fir twig bed raised two feet from the floor occupying a large part of the single apartment a long narrow table against the wall with a stout log bench before it and above the table a small window the only one there was which admitted a feeble light it was a simple and strong fort erected against the cold and suggested what valiant trencher work had been done there i discovered one or two curious wooden traps which had not been used for a long time in the woods near by the principal part consisted of a long and slender pole we got our dinner on the shore on the upper side of the dam as we were sitting by our fire concealed by the earth bank of the dam a long line of shell-drake half-grown came waddling over it from the water below passing within about a rod of us so that we could almost have caught them in our hands 
they were very abundant on all the streams and lakes which we visited and every two or three hours they would rush away in a long string over the water before us twenty to fifty of them at once rarely ever flying but running with great rapidity up or down the stream even in the midst of the most violent rapids and apparently as fast up as down or else crossing diagonally the old as it appeared behind and driving them and flying to the front from time to time as if to direct them we also saw many small black dippers which behaved in a similar manner and once or twice a few black ducks an indian at oldtown had told us that we should be obliged to carry ten miles between telos lake on the st john and second lake on the east branch of the penobscot but the lumberers whom we met assured us that there would not be more than a mile of carry it turned out that the indian who had lately been over this route was nearest right as far as we were concerned however if one of us could have assisted the indian in managing the canoe in the rapids we might have run the greater part of the way but as he was alone in the management of the canoe in such places we were obliged to walk the greater part i did not feel quite ready to try such an experiment on webster stream which has so bad a reputation according to my observation a bateau properly manned shoots rapids as a matter of course which a single indian with a canoe carries round my companion and i carried a good part of the baggage on our shoulders while the indian took that which would be least injured by wet in the canoe we did not know when we should see him again for he had not been this way since the canal was cut nor for more than thirty years he agreed to stop when he got to smooth water come up and find our path if he could and halloo for us and after waiting a reasonable time go on and try again and we were to look out in like manner for him he commenced by running through the sluice way and over the dam as usual standing up in his tossing canoe and was soon out of sight behind a point in a wild gorge this webster stream is well known to lumbermen as a difficult one it is exceedingly rapid and rocky and also shallow and can hardly be considered navigable unless that may mean that what is launched in it is sure to be carried swiftly down it though it may be dashed to pieces by the way it is somewhat like navigating a thunderspout with commonly an irresistible force urging you on you have got to choose your own course each moment between the rocks and shallows and to get into it moving forward always with the utmost possible moderation and often holding on if you can that you may inspect the rapids before you by the indian's direction we took an old path on the south side which appeared to keep down the stream though at a considerable distance from it cutting off bends perhaps to second lake having first taken the course from the map with a compass which was northeasterly for safety it was a wild wood path with a few tracks of oxen which had been driven over it probably to some old camp clearing for pasturage mingled with the tracks of moose which had lately used it we kept on steadily for about an hour without putting down our packs occasionally winding around or climbing over a fallen tree for the most part far out of sight and hearing of the river till after walking about three miles we were glad to find that the path came to the river again at an old campground where there was a small opening in the forest at which we paused swiftly as the shallow and rocky river ran here a continuous rapid with dancing waves i saw as i sat on the shore a long string of sheldrakes which something scared 
run up the opposite side of the stream by me with the same ease that they commonly did down it just touching the surface of the waves and getting an impulse from them as they flowed from under them but they soon came back driven by the indian who had fallen a little behind us on account of the windings he shot round a point just above and came to land by us with considerable water in his canoe he had found it as he said very strong water and had been obliged to land once before to empty out what he had taken in he complained that it strained him to paddle so hard in order to keep his canoe straight in its course having no one in the bows to aid him and shallow as it was said that it would be no joke to upset there for the force of the water was such that he had as lief i would strike him over the head with a paddle as have that water strike him seeing him come out of that gap was as if you should pour water down an inclined and zigzag trough then drop a nutshell into it and taking a short cut to the bottom get there in time to see it come out notwithstanding the rush and tumult right side up and only partly full of water after a moment's breathing space while i held his canoe he was soon out of sight again around another bend and we shouldering our packs resumed our course end of part three section twenty eight recording by expatriate in bangor maine